And welcome to the radio show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to I Teach Live here at KSU Owl Radio. My name is Andy Boyle. I'm joined in the studio this morning by my co-host, Dr. Anissa Vega. Hello. And we have a void as our, uh, we have a missing co-host, Stephanie Stevens. Um, I teach director could not join us this morning. She had a family emergency. Uh, she's Hashtag dealing, mom life. Yeah, mom life. So dealing yeah. with a uh, some some serious issues with her daughter. Fell and broke her arm, and she's having to take care of that. So um, well wishes to, uh, sent to Julia. Yeah, Julia, get better. Stephanie, rest up. She, yesterday was Stephanie's birthday. She was in Maine celebrating. Happy birthday to yeah, you. Yeah, took a quick little jaunt up to uh, to Maine with her husband to celebrate, and then uh, you know for her birthday, Ju- Julia gave her a broken <laughs> arm. So yeah, come home early. She got to rush home early and is is taking care of that. She so. shut that down real fast. <laughs> so yeah, so welcome to the show. Big show today, everybody. This is. Um, I guess we're kind of celebrating. This is the final show of season three nice. of I Teach Live. So what started out as a small mobile recording studio going from school to school interviewing mm-hmm. coaches yep. um, evolved into a, uh, a makeshift recording studio in one of our uh, one of our uh, offices in, in Bagwell. Yep. And now here we are, season three, year three. Um, in the beautiful uh, professional radio studios here at KSU Owl Radio. Where I get to run the board so proficiently. Where my engineer yes. <laughs> um, runs these radio boards. Radio engineer. I'm, i got to put that on my CV. Yeah. Give her a call. Give her a test. So if or don't. That's if, all right. <laughs> if you're out there listening, as always, we'll be following the hashtag ITeachLive on Twitter. Um, the radio station's phone number, should you choose to test Dr. Vega's radio engineering skills, 470-KSU-COOL. That's 470-578-2665. Um, and I'm hoping we've got some surprise guests today. Maybe I put an all-call out to our team if anyone was on campus this morning to join it's us in the so studio. It's so hard to fill Stephanie's shoes. She is such a force of nature. And I so know. without her being here, it's just... It's it's so quiet. I know. I I, I texted. Uh, I sent Anissa a message late last night. I said, "Oh my gosh, Steph's got this emergency. She's not going to be in this morning." And Anissa replied with, "Oh my gosh, who's going to talk? Who's going to actually speak?" Lots of pressure. Yeah. I'm going to have to provide some substance, I guess, today. Um, yeah, you're going to have to turn your brain on and use your cognitive powers. Mm, that's hard. So, cheers to coffee. <laughs> I've had two cups of tea, so right now I'm, I'm buzzing. Oh, good for you! I can't say the same, but uh, <laughs> but I'm well on my way. I've got my uh, my uh, I don't know what this is. My big black cup of coffee. It fits perfectly. It's um, a monster in my motorcycle bag that rides right next to me. So it looks like a maybe an eleven o'clock bathroom break. That's what. It's pretty large. Check. <laughs> At uh, insert. Inappropriate office joke right there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so today we've got lots to talk about today. We're doing, uh, it's going to be a traditional end of season show for us. We're going to talk about, um, kind of recap and go over some of the guests we've had. Remember, our, one of our big focus this year was on interviews. So we yeah. did interview lots of- We met of, some amazing people. Lots of interesting people from literally across, across the nation. That was my goal nation. and- I think uh, if I'm going to grade myself, I'm going to go B plus. 
Oh, I don't know. These folks were pretty great. They were so. great, but I didn't get. I got. I got East Coast. I got Middle America. Yes. I didn't get West Coast, so I think I fell short on. Well, consider the time too. Yeah, it is hard for them. Yeah. It is hard for them. We did at one so, point. Yeah. We interviewed. Uh, we did interview a West Coast person. Um, when was that? Maybe it was in a, season two. Didn't we, Anthony Kim? Anthony Kim from Education Elements. Yes, yeah. we interviewed him. I think that may have been. It was super early for yeah, him. Season two was that? I don't even know, but we did. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe an A. Maybe an A. Maybe an A. All right. Except the A. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. But in a real, in in my own personal, you know, um, grades don't motivate me anymore. Who is your dream guest that we have? I mean, we've already had some amazing uh, guests, but like guests for the radio show. Still to have? Yes. A dream guest? Yes. Oh, man. Who do we need to stalk? Oh, my gosh. You know, if I could really, if I could get anybody on to really talk to them about PL, um, about personalized learning, I've I got to go to the top. So I, w- I want Beth- Betsy DeVos to come talk to us. I want her on the radio to talk about how how personalized learning can roll out from the national level. You what what role pick? do you know, she's big on charter schools. So what what role can charter schools play in personalized sure. learning? Yeah, I'd love to hear um, her and how, uh, you know, how she can make that happen from the, the national level down. So if you're friends with Betsy DeVos. Yeah, have her reach out. Yeah. Four seven zero KSU cool. I'll clear the lines for her today. See if I can. Clear the lines, Anissa. Clear the lines. We've just cleared all uh, the lines. I, I do that automatically. All the ringing. <laughs> we, we just hung up on everybody calling in and cleared the lines for you. Oh, yeah. Betsy. Uh, Betsy. So give us a buzz. I'd like to hear from one of the Gates. Maybe oh. Melinda or Bill. They uh, have put a lot of money behind personalized learning, and I would like to hear from them, you know, what is their vision for personalized learning? How do they see that as a global education initiative? Um, You know, with money comes great power and responsibility. And I would like to, I'd really like to hear from them, their, uh, their vision and why they're putting money uh, behind it. And, um, and, and where they see that going in the future. Yeah. I'd be curious for a self-assessment as well. How do they feel, uh, you know, where do they feel like they are on their scale, what they wanted? Right. How, right. how successful have they been? What have been their shortcomings and mm-hmm. what do they need? Um, and how can Andy f- fill that gap? How can <laughs> I teach and, and personalized learning, uh, our vision of personalized learning, really move that forward? Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind a grant or two if you're well, listening, Bill We Melinda. should work on that. We are funded on soft money here at iTeach, so we should work on that. Let's work on getting some funds. We've got you've got a researcher. I do have a professional researcher sitting uh, right that's beside That's my job. So um, get we, to writing. What are you doing here right now? Get to I'm, writing. I'm here not writing. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I do have a lot of writing to the do. The trade offs. But, but you know, speaking of research, there is a special call out for a special issue of the Journal of Online Learning Research. That is an AACE journal. And we have a call out through mid-October. We are looking for empirical or theoretical manuscripts uh, for peer review for this special issue. We're hoping to learn more about personalized learning from an empirical perspective and be able to share that um, with the world and start building the literature. Stephanie and I are co-editing that. She is doing that as a doc student, really taking a, a leap forward and doing something that a lot of doc students don't get to do. So yeah. I'm excited to have her working with me on that. Wow. Fantastic. That's exciting. Yep. 
Yep. I was unaware of that uh, endeavor, so that's nice to hear. Yes, so if you know researchers working in uh, personalized learning or if uh, you know someone finishing their dissertation on the topic, uh, we really need to get as many pieces as possible so that we can get those peer-reviewed and, and out uh, out for the public to read. Yeah, that would it's be It's an open-access journal, too, so that's especially advantageous to school systems. So if you want to make a difference in... Um, personalized learning in the literature there, then an open access journal is one of the best ways to do that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Look at all this learning we've already done. It's not, not even 10.15 yet. Well. I've already learned something. <laughs> all right. Well, let's Cheers. keep going then. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> all right. Before I move on to theory. Before we move on. So let's talk um, about some of the guests we had. Yeah. Um, I'd love to over the course of this season. And we started back in um, in 2018, if you recall, we spoke with Dr. Julie Warner. I'm so impressed with Dr. Warner. Good friend of mine up at the uh, Department of Ed. Julie and I, mm-hmm. if you recall, we um, were colleagues at, uh, at a high school here in Cobb County. Right. She's an English teacher. I, um, I of course, taught social studies. I taught economics. Mm-hmm. And uh, we shared a lot of the same students. Um, became friends, and then she moved on to bigger and better. She went to, uh, she left us to go to Columbia to work on her doctorate. She finished. She's taught a little bit down at um, at Armstrong State University okay. in Savannah, where she led the uh, that that coastal writing project down right. there, and then um, moved on up to Washington D.C. to join the Department of Ed at the national level, where she was a part of the. Well, she might know Betsy. She might. Tell her to get Betsy on the phone. Jules, and she's on She's on vacation right now. I, I called Julie the other day, and I said, hey, Jules, you want to come back on? We're doing this in a year recap. Anything going on? You remember she was writing, uh, working on that collection of manuscripts from what teachers learned early on, uh, mistakes they had made, and right. what they had learned early on in their teaching careers. And um, she said, I'm on vacation. Or she would. I said, well, we got to respect that. I said, cancel it. I mean, what? <laughs> What's better than hanging yeah, out with us? Yeah. At she gave me a quick ha-ha. <laughs> and that was all I heard from her. So she is she's sitting somewhere. Well, we I don't were even lucky know to have her on when we did. And she was full of great information. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we talked about some of the mistakes that we had made. I shared a mistake that I made um, that sits with me often. I've even I've had a similar conversation with, uh, with a fellow uh, soccer referee of mine who's a new teacher. Right. Um, and I shared, you know, a similar story uh, with him recently. Uh, any anything? Have you had? Have you even thought about it? Have you had time to think on that at all? Any anything that uh, you want to add to about, that? Well, I had mentioned that I had I, I I wasn't the kind of coach that I would be today in terms of instructional technology specialist. Oh right? yeah, yeah. So yeah. I had a position as an instructional technology specialist in a school system. And, and I have thought more about, like, what what would I have done differently? But I think at the time it was appropriate for, you know, the early 2000s in the sense that it was very tool-focused. Right. Um, very technology for technology's sake. Um, and I wish it had been more about pedagogy, you know? Yeah, I think I, uh, I would bet 99.9% of us took that route that was the the logical route i think to first learn the tools and be tool focused and then kind of come back full circle and be like now that we've got these and they're abundant and they're (laughs) kind of ubiquitous now at this point 
let's get back to good teaching and and just let those sit in the background as resources and almost ways to to come to these uh, ends, if you will, as well, far as student I, choice and student-directed yes. learning and, and all of these things. They just kind of fit in now. I definitely had that philosophy that I needed to know every tool that a student might use in my classroom, oh, absolutely. you know, and now I'm way past that. I My students teach me new tools all the time and demonstrate mastery using some, you know, tools I've never heard of. Right. And that's now the primary way that I learn any new tool is through my students' demonstration of mastery when they teach me something new, right. which is really fun, and it makes it fun to grade student work and to give them feedback and to learn about the new tool in that moment. Um, I'm glad I, made, I was able to let go of that fear yeah. that they might know more about a tool right. than me. So I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up, um, Anissa, because I want to show you, or I, I don't want to show you. I was going to say I want to show you if Julie's listening. I know she's not, but I have actually. Oh, I think I just closed it. I had that tab open. I was writing that story. Oh yeah. So Julie, she texted me or she called me after the show, and she's like, "Andy, I really want you to put that story on paper and and send it to me." Yeah. I'm just not a good writer. That's just not what I'm good at. And so I've had that tab open in my browser since whatever that October or November, whenever we spoke with Julie. Right. And I've got probably, I don't know, a page written. That's great. It's a great it just, start. It sits there. And I don't, yeah, I have no idea when she would need it by, but it's, I want you to, if you're listening, Julie, it is on the forefront of my brain and yeah. that's just not something I'm good at. Um, but it is something that I'm, that I am working at. And I, I constantly have that daily reminder whenever I look at my tabs <laughs> that that here is this you thing be that I need ah, to welcome to higher ed. That's yeah. like the constant. Uh... Yeah, but 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 back to what you were talking about learning new tools. So this is we just had um, was it last week? The week before we had what, the KSU iTech Advisory Board meeting yes. here on campus. Thank so, you to all of our advisory board members. Absolutely. For so taking the time. It's these amazing. are area superintendents, CIOs. Um, instructional technology leads, um, IT leads uh, in the local metro Atlanta school districts. Right. These are the folks that our students aspire to be right. in, in my department, or at least in our um, instructional or coaching and directorship uh, right. programs. Right. And they help the provide feedback to the college mm-hmm. on what students need to learn, what, or I'm sorry, when I say teachers. students, what teachers um, what skills and, and what are the attributes that, that they're looking for in their teacher prep? In their um, hires. In their, it really, yeah. having these folks serve on an advisory board for us really helps us stay relevant as a department in the programs that we offer. And without them, um, things would go stale. But, you know, I teach is the other group that helps us stay relevant. You know, you guys oh, are in the you. schools. Yeah. yeah, you're in the schools and you bring back so much information to us and for us to use about what would make our programs relevant and useful and help our graduates have the advantage to get hired. Um, and without the advisory board and without iTeach, I, I don't know how you would how we would stay relevant. Right. Yeah. We'd it, still be teaching something like web quests. Well, ooh. Yeah. Just kidding. So, um, <laughs> so one of the main, probably the main. F- point of focus, of emphasis that we heard 
uh, as we went around the meeting room listening to what school districts are working on, mm-hmm. what school districts are focusing on, and what's driving a lot of decision making mm-hmm. at the district level is data privacy. And so uh, in, in, you know, in the old days, right. it was easy, I think, for us to try new tools and to to get these things and we didn't no one looked at at student data privacy it wasn't right. it wasn't something that was on the, the the front of our thinking and let's just school the folks um who are listening just in case you don't know ferpa this is the family educational right to privacy act this is federal law that we are supposed to protect student data right right so right. there's you know, big stakes behind um, privacy of data Absolutely. and protection of data. Absolutely. And and not just here, but, you know, Steffi and I were out in Colorado mm-hmm. working with a, uh, with a school district out there, and that was one of the primary drivers for bringing in a third-party consultant was student data, student privacy. How can we, how can we manage it, um, and how do we make sure it's not going in the wrong places and being used for the wrong things? Well, it's so hard today because so many tools use our data in order to, and, and they sell our information that we generate using tools right. in order to target us for advertisements. And so what does that mean when we're using these tools for learning? Right, right. And a lot of times these tools that we're using in schools are free. Right, because right? teachers and they're free because they're, they're free selling our data. Because those ads and that sales is what's driving that price point for teachers. Right. And so it is, it is a debate that uh, hasn't been settled. I don't think it will be settled anytime soon. Well, you know, I had a um, an, an email recently come from a group that is working with INACOL, International Association of K twelve um, Online Learning. They are rewriting their standards for online courses and online instruction, and they were debating whether or not it was important to still have the standard that requires, um, or at least at the highest level of that standard, that there's no advertisements in uh, the instructional tools that are in the course, that they're advertisement and bias-free. And the reason why they were debating this is because so many free educational tools actually need to make their money. They generate their money through advertisement. And so we're in this sticky place now with privacy of data, but are we going to spend more on our instructional tools in order to have data privacy and to limit advertising towards students? Or are we going to keep it on the cheap and sell our let our student data be sold. Right. Yeah. It's so that a, we can have free tools. It's definitely a touchy. It's a touchy subject. It's a touchy topic, and there are you know opinions that swing on both sides very yeah. loudly in some places. Right. Um, but it but it is an interesting. It is an interesting conversation, and and I think the dynamic between um, you know higher ed where you're working with adults. And K-12, where they're working with children, mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, if you look at, you know, K-5 elementary schools, right. minors who don't even reach, you know, a large majority of these uh, of these free resources that are using data that require accounts, right? Mm-hmm. The 13 is the, is the age right. where, um, I guess, where COPA kicks in. So if you're under 13, you've got to have some sort of parental consent right. um, for these kids to be accessing mm-hmm. um these accounts. Right. 
So how do, how do we do that? How do we maintain <laughs> the autonomy that and teachers about, want? You know, because this is, we see it yeah. so often every day in schools right. now. We hear from the district level, don't support these tools that the district hasn't approved. Mm-hmm. Um, and teachers are out there looking for and using the things that work for them. Well, and, and frankly, some of the things they're doing are amazing, right? Right. Uh, and it's a shame to have to shut that down because of privacy issues. But at the same time, we've really got to start having these conversations, especially when we talk about schools of poverty. Like, are we exploiting children to essentially uh, their data and their time to observe and watch advertisements in order to basically purchase <laughs> the access to technology tools, whereas in a school that can afford to buy, their PTA can buy all the tools that don't require then, or, or the, the premium accounts and subscriptions so they don't have to review and waste their time looking at advertisements. Is that fair? Is that a free and equal educational opportunity? Probably not. Probably not. But a, but a, but a, but would we prevent those children from having access to those tools? Just, yeah. It's mm, a tough one. Where do we go? How about you people are quiet out there today? Yeah. We're on Tweet Twitter us. right now following the hashtag I teach live. What do you think? What are, what are your ideas? What are your thoughts on student data privacy on free tools for teachers that, that have to harness that data and then in turn sell it to, to make sure that they are still viable and able to uh, produce these products that teachers are using in mm-hmm. classrooms. And then the flip side is when, you know, when those streams start to run dry, the big tech giants come in and buy, buy up these tools right. to then ideally, I guess, their, their motivation is to drive schools and students to use uh, more of their products when they are more intimately um, integrated integrated together mm-hmm. you know i don't want to name any names but you know when we look at flipgrid for example you mm-hmm. know this great tool a lot of people using it a lot of people excited about it and then um and it was you know they follow the freemium model so right. there's a level that's free but if you really want to supercharge and have access to more data and more uh, you know be able to do more, more videos features, and yep. more stuff than then you pay and Microsoft sweeps in, buys Flipgrid, makes it free, and of course now it's integrated really nicely um, mm-hmm. with the Microsoft suite of products. So, you know, there, there in turn. I missed that update. I did not know. Oh yeah. Microsoft bought Flipgrid. Yeah, that happened a while that. ago. So. Um, that was edu in the news that I didn't know about. Yeah. So it's interesting how how that works. You know, what is it the is. Mm-hmm. what is the trade off there? You know. So. Um, funny things, you know, and then you have companies like Facebook that are looking to move into the space and what are they doing with, with all of this data and, you know, they, you have those promises that they're not misusing or not allowing these third parties access to this data. But, um, you know, I have a friend who, um, out of her doctoral studies and some research that she did, she developed a reading support tool called read ahead. And, you know, she's been working to get it in the schools and to try to collect more data and improve the tool and all of this research, you know, but when it's a free tool, how do you, how do you make the money? And so I know that, that she's grappled with that as well about how to make sure that she has the best research based tool 
um, but also balance access, you know, right, and it yeah. costs money to do that Absolutely. research. So I don't know, I don't know the answer. That is, uh, yeah. Well, it's definitely above my pay grade. <laughs> so the, that answer. Well, it's complex, messy, ill-structured problem that folks got to get together and, and try to solve together. Yeah. Come up with some <clears throat> new innovative solutions. Yeah, interesting. So um, thanks, Julie, for spurring that conversation. Yeah, good stuff. So uh, there's good. Um, who else did we have? Who else? So we talked, Julie was my uh, our East Coast guest. So we did have from Dallas, Texas, if you remember, uh, we spoke with Danielle Johnson. So she was a middle school instructional coach yes. uh, out in the Carrollton Farmers Branch Independent School District where I grew up. Um, and Danielle was part of the, um, what was the Verizon and Google um, partnership. partnership for mm -hmm. that uh, digital learning right. uh, partnership out there in Dallas. So um, Danielle was, <coughs> excuse me. Danielle was fantastic. Um, Doing amazing things yeah, in high school. Yeah, and talked a lot about, uh, focus more on coaching and how she's supporting teachers in, um, via that dynamic learning project. And, uh, you know, she's, I've, I've kept in touch with Danielle since the show. Right. And uh, she's super interested in Summer Summit. Oh, so she's fantastic. asked several times about Summer Summit. Well, Andy, just for those listening, what is the Summer Summit? Oh, my goodness. What is the Summer Summit? So I teach is hosting the, I'm not going to say the first annual because I've learned that that's not correct, the inaugural, inaugural. Summer good. Summit this, um, this summer here. So what we're doing is we are gathering up. Um, I teach coaches, and we're hosting a one-day learning opportunity on Monday, uh, July 22nd. So we'll be across the street at the, uh, what we call Con Ed, at the Continuing Education yep. Center. Free parking. Free parking. That's, and, and there is parking. That's a thing at KSU. That is a thing here. <laughs> Hashtag hootie hoo. Um, yeah, and so we've got a full lineup of um, professional learning okay. uh, opportunities for teachers to come and learn about personalized learning. Um, led by instructional coaches Fantastic. that are in classrooms doing supporting, co-modeling, writing lessons. Really um, that how-to. The how-to piece of, um, of personalized learning. It's a one-day event. It's only $40. It's dirt Ooh, cheap. And the kicker cheap. here, we're providing child care. Do you have to pay extra for child care? It is. I think it's I think it's 10 bucks. Okay. I mean, okay. it's cheaper than a babysitter. Um, that is cheaper and, than a babysitter. and the childcare is a maker experience. Uh, it's basically a one day maker camp for your kids. So they're going to come in and be surrounded with maker opportunities. So they can come in and do some design thinking and some making um, for the kids. We also, what age groups is that? Uh, we're doing everybody. I don't think there's an age limit on the. Uh, I'm sure there's got to be an age limit. You're not going to have six month olds making brush bots. Well, I don't think mom's coming if she's got a six month old at home. Or dad. Are they? Are they coming? I would have. Maybe. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. But the I'd one place you can go to find out is you can go to the website and okay. you can check it out. So at iteach.kennesaw.edu, um, if you scroll down about halfway down the page, you can see the 2019. Um, is there an email address if you have extra questions or you do have that six-month-old and you do plan to come and you want some more details that Andy and I can't answer? Absolutely. So you can always email info at ksuiteach.org. Or even better yet, if you go to the website, you'll see uh, my smiling face or one of our other uh, instructional coaches' smiling face down there in the right corner on chat. 
just chat us up right then and there. Love we can it. answer your questions live um, right there. And if we don't have the answers, we can go to the people that do yeah. um, and quickly access those answers. So okay. um, come check it out. We've also got, we've partnered, of course, with uh, some of our national um, and regional um, products that we support that we feel like are good. So we've got uh, Makey Makey. We're going to be doing Love some makey makey training there. If you're interested in learning about how you can um, use and implement makey makey in your classroom, we'll be offering that, and we'll also be offering a Nearpod um, workshop as well, all focused on on using Nearpod in your classroom. So, um, I think those are an additional charge as well. Okay, some additional workshop type, but. Let me see. I'm on the website checking it out. Yeah, $40 gets you lunch, breakfast, and snacks throughout the day. Oh, right? Wow. You get a T-shirt for coming. Um, it is $10 for the kids add-on, the Maker Camp. Okay. Uh, and if you want to see, yeah, we are doing Nearpod or Makey Makey. Those are an extra. Those are $10 All each right. for one of those classes. Um, and we are working on right now, and this is probably uh, – I dropped the ball on this one, but we're looking for to partner with some local hotels. Okay. Those hotels right there at uh, Chastain right, and I-75. Right, We've got the Hampton Inn, the Marriott. Yeah, uh, to provide us with a discount so that if people need to come from out of town and stay, that uh, that we can get them a discounted rate to stay right there, really within walking distance. They could just park and walk. Or So um, registration's open now. Registration is open. You can register on the website. Um, the agenda, the, the schedule is up on the website as well. That shows you all of the sessions that are available. Um, so check it out. I teach that Kennesaw.edu. Um, Nobody asked Summit. me to come talk. Ooh, yeah. They didn't even ask me to come talk. So, <laughs> so maybe that's a selling point, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anissa and Andy will not be speaking. Be, um, we'll, be, we'll probably be walking around. Learning yeah. from other yeah. folks, better. Oh, I definitely plan on showing better up. Better personalized yeah, learning, absolutely. Uh, and maybe stick it in for uh, for one of these workshops. These uh, these instructional coaches here at I teach are incredible, fantastic, and inspirational. Really, if you're if you're looking at doing personalized learning, you really need instructional coaching to right. support your teachers in the classroom. And and we've got the best here. They mm-hmm. they are, I would say, far and away the most experienced. This is what we've been doing every day in classrooms for the last three or four years. Right. Um, and these, these are phenomenal. It, it doesn't matter the age group. It doesn't matter the subject matter. We have certified teachers mm-hmm. in all uh, grade levels, in all subject areas. And um, these people, they really knock it out of the park. They really do. And I, and I have to tell you that many of them have been my students in our iTech 7460 instructional coaching class. Right. And so I get to see, uh, read about, or in videos, see how they coach. And you can always tell when it's an I teach coach. They're amazing. They're just top notch. Great at the partnership approach. They know the coaching cycle. They are inspirational. Great. I don't want to say bedside manner, but maybe desk side manner. Right. Right. Um, really great partners and um, great people to learn from. Fantastic. That's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, Anissa, that's fantastic. So, yeah. So look them up. Look us up at uh, iteach.kennesaw.edu. Again, about halfway down the page, you'll see the big, there's a big flyer right there um, with all the information you need about Summer Summit. Check us out. Registration is open. Um, and again, $40 is 
A steal. A steal f- to spend the day surrounded by IT coaches learning. I mean, really, you're netting. Uh, yeah. Making making money in terms of you, you got your you got your T-shirt. Breakfast, lunch, Breakfast, snacks lunch. provided, and bring your kids. Ten bucks. Bring your kids, and yeah, they can positive. they can take uh, take part in um, in a maker activity of a whole day of maker stuff for for the kids as well. So it'll be fun for the whole My family. My girls will love that. Fun for the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we're talking about it, I guess I we can't neglect maker camp. I teach once again. We'll be doing uh, summer maker camp. We've got. Um, I'm going to have to click here to learn more about that. I know we've got several opportunities for elementary and middle. Got two opportunities in June, June 3rd through 7th uh, for elementary and June 17 through 21 for middle school. Uh, and if June's not your your cup of noodles there in July, we've also got two weeks in July, July 8 through 12 and July 15 through 19. So if you're a teacher and you're you're headed back to school, for pre-planning there at the end of July, don't know what to do with your elementaries, hey, bring them up to Maker Camp and let them spend a week of design thinking and and making um, right here up on the beautiful campus of Kennesaw State University with surrounded by I Teach coaches. And they get to go to the Commons for lunch on the last day. Oh, my goodness. They're, they're so full, we have to roll them out of there. If you've never experienced the Commons here, our, our, I hate to say cafeteria, but for lack of a better term. Well, it's, it's poor description. It is, yeah. But it's... It is just nationally recognized for their uh, farm-to-table program. I they, have visited KSU's farm. We where, have a farm where, where we grow our own vegetables, and yep. we have cows and milks, uh, cows and milks, cows and chickens. <laughs> um, and they uh, really I've seen goats there as goats. well. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, and the array of food that you can get in the commons, I mean, you name it, they've got it. Um, Italian, you know, Mexican, yeah, it, American, Greek. They've got sushi. They've got, um, you You're know. not going to find smiley fries there. <sighs> it's going to be fresh cut. It's going to be yeah, something good. It's good stuff. And, of course, the centerpiece is the giant dessert all right mm, there in the middle. There's all so, those fresh so desserts fancy. every day. I love the smoothies. I didn't, I've not had a smoothie. Mm, it's fresh Really? They yeah, cut up the fruits like, and all that right yeah, there? and it's so good. I can't beat it. sit there and drink smoothies all day. Can't beat it. I think if I were a student, I would literally just, because you, you, know, you pay on when you go in, I would just go in for breakfast and not attend class <laughs> and just stay there all day because there's Wi-Fi. Yeah, I'm pretty sure some do that. <laughs> so just go camp, eat. The Freshman 50 here at The Freshman you. 50. Bring it on. Yeah. Yeah, so my three kids have all attended uh, Maker Camp. They have all loved it. Um, and so they'll, they'll be back. That's fantastic. And if you are, if you're fortunate enough to, to come on campus and wander the halls of the Bagwell College of Education here, you may notice down one of the hallways, uh, there is a fort that lives permanently in the hallway that, yes. um, it's a clubhouse, a clubhouse, not a fort, I guess the, the maker, I guess what's your maker, it just doesn't go away. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so when when Dr. Vegas, when Anissa's kids are up here, they're in the clubhouse and they're always making and adding on and I doing cool things in there. I think it originally was a copy machines box. So, you know, it's about four feet yeah. tall. Maybe. It's a good size. It's a good size box. It's a good size box slash clubhouse. But it, it has a sunroof. Oh, yeah. It's got a mailbox hole. It's got a cafe. A couple of windows. It's wonderful. Flower box. 
It's wonderful. It's fantastic. So that is uh, Maker Camp. And again, if you got questions, info at ksuiteach.org, or better yet, just come to the website, iteach.kennesaw.edu. Click the smiling face of the instructional coach down there on the bottom and uh, and ask all the questions and get all the answers right there. Is that you smiling right now? That on? is me. I just noticed that, that I was what? smiling down there. So I'm going to take myself <laughs> yeah, off. You need to put someone else on there because uh, you can't ditch me on the radio. I'm on all the time. And you'll be surprised at the hours yeah. at night that people, A, are hitting our website and B have questions for me. So I have I've literally gotten questions at 3 a.m. Um, and you take them. Search it if I'm up. Normally I'm not up. I send those to <laughs> AB. He's up watching YouTube at 3 a.m. down there on the couch. So I'm like, dude, grab that, answer those questions, and uh, so yeah. No, I try to reach back out because a lot of times we ask for you know info. It's not required. Right. Um, but when they join for the first time, when the first time they chat, we ask for their name and their email address. So if you if you put that in there, I, I, I will email you back with uh, with questions and with answers to your questions. If well, we when I've on. used it, I got immediate response, but that was during the day. So. Yeah, yeah. We're pretty good about, um, well, we man it. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. it's a part that's, that's like stage one of our new on-demand service. So that's so how you connect. So how does this on-demand service work? So on-demand is fantastic. I like that transition there, Dr. Vega. That was slick. Um, but before we get into that, let's let's take a, a quick break and let the listeners know if you're just joining us, you're listening to I Teach Live with Andy and Anissa. Stephanie's not with us today. She's dealing with a family emergency. And we are uh, live on KSU Owl Radio. Um, Hootie Who, the number one online college radio station in Georgia, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Here we um, are. Anissa is anxiously awaiting your phone calls, 470-KSU <laughs> Cool. If you want to give us a buzz, 470-578-2665. And we are always monitoring the hashtag I Teach Live on Twitter during the shows. We're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Soon, I, we are on Pinterest. I don't know that much is happening there right now, but um, soon to be doing that. And we've recently revamped our uh, our YouTube channel. So hopefully we're going to yes. see a revival in our YouTube channel. And all of those social medias and all those channels, we are at KSU I Teach um, for all of those um, social media outlets. So... Anissa, what did you just ask me? I asked you about on demand. How on does demand. this work? What? Who would use this? Like, what's? Give me, give, give me the skinny. What is so it? the skinny. Let me give you some background. So we okay. we've been in schools. I teach, right? We've got instructional coaches um, that are physically in schools every day, supporting teachers, and and so through. Through our data, our own data collection, uh, we have found that a lot of times uh, in those school buildings, a lot of the times that uh, there's a lot of downtime for coaches mm -hmm. where they can't access those teachers. And oftentimes we find that teachers might need support at the same time. There may be more than one teacher who needs support from a coach at one time. Okay. Or uh, maybe you, when you need the support, you can't find the coach that's in your building. Okay. And so we, you know, we just started brainstorming. Well, what happens in these situations? How can we make sure that we're available to the teachers when teachers need them? And so we started looking. Um, is, it, is it urgency or is it just that no, nobody's available when that teacher's available? It's both. Okay. Sometimes it's urgency. Sometimes it's just 
Um, couldn't find my coach. And I couldn't got find my minutes. coach. Yeah, I got 10 minutes. I got this small window of opportunity. I'd like to learn how to do this. Okay. Or, I, I, you know, I want to I do, let's just say, you know, when a, a Nearpod. I want to do a Nearpod lesson tomorrow, but I need a little help on figuring this out. Where's my coach? I can't find him, so I'm not going to do the Nearpod. I'm going to fall back on that more traditional lesson. Okay. Um, and so we started looking outside at, at what do other people do? Um, in other industries and on demand is so it's ubiquitous and it's it's the direction that everyone is going not just in education um i shouldn't even say not just it's not happening in education this is before before i teach so but when you want to watch a movie right you go to netflix and it's on demand we don't have to wait until eight o'clock and set the vcr uh to record it anymore um when you want food Right. You can call Uber Eats and they bring it to you right away Uh, when you need groceries. If you can't get to the grocery store, right, you call Instacart, you go online, you do Instacart, Mm -hmm. you order your groceries, they bring them to your house. Mm -hmm. Um, Even doctors these days. Right. I've even uh, there's there's like doctors on demand where you can go online and actually video chat with a doctor when you need them. And I've you know, we're on state health benefit plan here in Georgia. My wife and I are both in educators and they're pushing Video on demand video yeah. conferencing with with doctors. I think I've done it uh, once or twice, and the copay was only like fifteen dollars yeah. or something. Yeah. It was less than they if throw I went the price to the down to try to right. Right. That's uh, I could go into my economics model: supply and demand. Price right. goes down. Right. Okay. Demand goes up. So um, as they lower the price, they're hoping people will hit hit that on demand video doctor, and maybe that creates a little more time right. in the physical space and when I just you didn't want to put a vomiting child in my car so no. yeah there you go <laughs> the on-demand doctor was the best solution yeah yeah that beats uh you know I could tell you a story about our throw-up cup that we carried on our way to Disney one oh, year because we had a sick boy who literally was throwing up every five minutes so we 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 had the trusty throat Trust. cup. Oh, great. Yeah, it was horrible. It was a horrible ride. Stick with us, folks. Stick with us. So <laughs> so we're looking around and we're seeing on demand, on demand, on demand, and people um, uh, people are expecting this now. We, we've gotten to the point where we're so impatient. We don't want to wait. And, and so we looked in education and we thought, you know, why, why don't teachers have this same level of service and access to the support they need when they need it? Because right. their schedules are so tight and they're, you know, every year we're piling more and more on teachers. Planning time is right. is getting, you know, eaten up by PLCs and test prep. And you got to go to a training to learn how to administer this test. And that takes up time. And so we thought, what if we were able to make ourselves available to teachers at any time, anywhere? When they so, needed it at a push of a button, instead of... Instead of spending 10 minutes walking the halls looking for someone to support you, okay, yeah, one click away, G- that give support. Me an, give me an example of a question a teacher might or has before um, approached you on. Give me an example. So it may be the case where a teacher is getting ready to uh, plan for an upcoming lesson. Okay. And so... A teacher will come on. They'll go to the website, iteach.kennesaw.edu. If this is their first time, if you've got some, some of our teachers uh, have established relationships with the on-demand coaches. And so they reach out directly to those coaches. Uh, But if this is your first time, you come to the website, 
you'll see a smiling face in the bottom right-hand corner. Okay. Um, and you click on the face, and you just start a conversation. And it's as easy as, hey, this is, you know, if it's me, this is Andy. I'm in, I'm at KSU, and I'm doing a lesson next year or next week on um, supply and demand. And I'm really looking for some ideas on how to innovate or how to kind of change things up. Maybe maybe you want to provide um, some more student choice. So how can I integrate um, more student choice into my lessons? And so the person on the end of that chat will receive that and they'll say, hey, Andy, thank you so much for reaching out. I've got a social studies specialist, a high school social studies teacher that's sitting waiting to have that conversation with you. And so I reach out to the on-demand coach and I say, hey, I've got a teacher in a school who wants to, uh, you know, wants to help generating some ideas on a uh, on a supply and demand lesson for next week. And so I get a link for uh, we use Blackboard for video conferencing tool. And I take the link from the on-demand coach into their room and I pass it on to the teacher that's in chat with me, and I say, hey, Andy's waiting for you uh, on demand. Click this link. There's nothing to download. There's no, you know, it's literally for the end user, it's a click. It works in any browser. They click the link. It opens up a tab for a video conversation with with a certified teacher in their subject area in their grade level, and then and then that conversation goes from there. Um, if there's a need for a follow-up or a want for a follow-up, then they can set up, the teacher can set up with that on-demand coach all the follow-up right then and there. They can schedule it in a calendar appointment. They can do all of those things. So the next time there can be a set schedule if they wanted to set up something like, I want to meet with you every week and talk about how this is going and you know what's not working for me or maybe there's some things that they're uncomfortable with and they need more frequent coaching mm-hmm. um then then certainly those coaches are available and they can set those up you can set up a regular monday at two or it can be you know here's a link directly to my room and whenever you need it you just click it i could see this being hugely valuable to rural school systems so that was a lot of our 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 need right for this service the reason why we started reaching and looking um, for new ways to reach teachers was out of uh, two huge areas of need and one was was rural schools right how can we physically get to these schools that are two three four five hours away who only maybe need five hours of your time in a week right 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 it's just not feasible in a traditional... Right, it's not scalable. It's not right. scalable in that model. And then second was was a financial concern. So we work with schools. We work with Wheeler County Schools in okay. Georgia. And as of the 2010 uh, census, Wheeler County was the second poorest county in the nation mm-hmm. per capita. Mm-hmm. And so we had to... We also had to find a way to make sure that schools that lack the financial resources... right. They're only paying for the hours that they use. Yeah, they need that access just as much as these affluent schools in Metro Atlanta and and affluent districts. So how can we make that, um, how can we make I teach more equitable is the word that's... uh, More accessible. Accessible and equitable. And And we thought, this is it. So it drives the cost so way far down that, that it takes money out of the equation. Really, it's it's almost 
not feasible at this point to say I can't afford a virtual coach because there's no travel expenses. Uh-huh. You're not paying for uh, for a coach to be in your building while every every teacher they're supporting is teaching class and they're right. not they're not actively coaching, right? Right. So you or only... that situation where you need a coach and a half, right? Right. Yeah, like yeah. keep the coach you got in your school, but get a virtual coach for the half. Yeah. So it solves for all of those problems, right? And it it solves for it in a in a way that makes it affordable, really, for we think everyone, right? And um, you know, and we're we're in it for schools. So obviously, if if a school district says I need this, but I but I even can't afford this, then we're going to work with them. We're going to yeah. make it and happen. And not for yeah, we're right? we are not for profit. Um, we're it's in it for it schools. We're in it for students and teachers right. and and personalized learning. And so we're going to make it work um, so that these teachers and these schools and these students get the support that they that they so desperately want and need. Um, you know, to make this learning experience better for everybody. Right. And when that happens, when when that learning experience is better, you know. Society as a whole is going to benefit, you know, jobs, the workplace is going to benefit. Employers are going to benefit when they get education is the foundation. Yeah. Come on. Right. It is. It's the ticket out for, you know, a lot of these people um, in these hard to reach areas. So or to stay and be productive and improve the community. Absolutely. Um, So that was uh, that was a lot of the driving motivation for for on demand. I love it. We're it's moving. so innovative. It's new idea, you know, pulled from other industries, applying it to solve problems in education. It is. I'm really and, proud of you guys. I think and we're great. Uh, thank you, thank you. And we're trying to, at the same time, you know, we want to model what we want to see in schools. So mm-hmm. we're we're risk taking. We're stepping outside our box. We're moving forward with where the greater good and where society is moving. Right. Um, and trying to support learners and and educators Talk where they about are. Personalized professional development. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing more personalized than on demand. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Individual one on one. At three AM yeah. if it need be. <laughs> right? That's that's impressive. So that uh that is it. So we're we're super excited about it. We've been uh kind of secretly testing this for quite right. a while with some of the districts that we work with. Uh we've been talking about it now for a little while and, and putting it out there, but really um, as as we start rolling into the nineteen twenty school year and even beyond there, we're really going to see a big push in this. We're excited here at iTeach over this summer. We've been there's been a lot of talk of iTeach three point um, and and that is a part a big part of iTeach three and kind of how we are moving forward and and rolling and changing and and keeping up with with things. So hopefully, you know, we're going to see a lot of changes. That I teach over the summer right. and kind of how we're we're shifting our model of, of, of leadership and, and this idea we're, we're promoting this idea of a, a team of teams um, okay. and really allowing for the coaches to um, to move into areas that they're passionate about. And right. that's, you know, on demand may have even come from a coach. You know, almost like uh, Google's 20% time, right? Gmail sure. Gmail was a Google employee's 20% time. You know, email was horrible. How can I make it better? Boom, and, and so, it's this freedom to think, make, invent, absolutely, uh, in on work's time, on work time, yeah. yeah, to benefit, to benefit work, to benefit work, right, right. to yeah. benefit what we're doing here, to make us more productive, um, and ultimately to help us stay viable mm-hmm. and, and be competitive, um, and get yeah. get personalized learning out there. Impressive. So it's been super fun. 
it's been a, a challenge. You know, we're uh, we're, all, we're we're teachers, right? So I don't I don't want to say just teachers because no. that that certainly minimizes what teachers do. They're they're heroes and. But um, you're partners. You're equals. You're right. not. It's not a supervisor. We are, and and it's things that we have to learn. I mean, I, we don't. We're not. Uh, uh, I can't tell you, Stephanie. Stephanie and I went and met with with an entrepreneur here in Atlanta who has started several um, businesses uh-huh. and sold them. Very, um, he's very successful at starting these these kind of subscription based models, something like an i demand uh, on demand or you know Netflix. Or, and so cause we have no idea how to price or how these things work, right? right. Starting businesses is not something that we do. So we, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to experts um, in these fields, learning how to do these things so that we can, um, you know, hopefully we can roll these new things out, do them effectively and do them efficiently so that, uh, so that when teachers finally get on and when they're using mm-hmm. the service and accessing coaches that it, that it works and that it, uh, you know, that it works the way we intend it to work. Right. Um, and that, that everyone has a good experience and they find it positive. So I would challenge you guys, because um, you're still, you know, working on this and, and building it. But um, I think you've got the systems of, of coaching going great with that. But I would ask you, how are you me- measuring your success in that? Like, how are you... Um, measuring that it changes teacher practice. And that's something that I would, I think would help superintendents and building leaders um, to further justify the use and the, the purchase of subscription services with iTeach. Absolutely. And that's, that's a great question. And I'm glad you brought it up. So we, you know, one of the things I think that makes iTeach unique, because there are, there are other services out there that offer instructional coaching, Right. Some, you know, more so than others. Uh, but I think one of the huge differentiators between iTeach and some of these other providers out there, A, not only are we all still certified uh, teachers. teachers. And you know pedagogy. And we know pedagogy. Right? So sometimes you see coaches that just come in and teach us technology. That's right. But you guys are pedagogical experts. We are. We are teachers through and through. Right. But we also are in a unique position here at the university is that we have access to uh, to some of the leading researchers mm-hmm. in the education field and in particular in personalized learning here in the state of Georgia. And so we have a unique partnership, whereas we can meet, talk with, collaborate with professional researchers like yourself, mm-hmm. like um, Dr. Julie uh, more, um, Lori Diaz. Diaz. So we have this access that other, yeah. uh, other teams of coaches don't have. So we're out in the field every day mm-hmm. and uh, testing and retesting and iterating these best practices. And then we collaborate with the researchers here and we're providing that data back to the researchers. So they are in turn taking the research, right? And changing teacher prep, changing... Well, for example, we have uh, Dr. Joe Williamson. She, her research, and she is known for her work with ISTE and the, and the coaching standards there. Right. So if you, there is no better expert on coaching than Dr. Joe Williamson. Right. You know, and so she's right here. And then we've got Dr. Uh, Lori Brantley-Diaz, uh, I would say a national expert in TPAC, uh, technology, 
technological pedagogical content knowledge. She is an expert in that. She has uh, published extensively on that area. And also in um, video, using video for um, instructional improvement. Right. Um, whether that's mentoring or self-reflection. And she um, and she's published extensively on that. So we have some incredible experts here. And, and you're failing to mention one of our experts on online learning. Right, Dr. Vega. Um, <laughs> you just completely bypass that, that we have Anissa Vega right here in our own studio, you know, every month, who is uh, the, the leading um, expert in, in Well, the problem is learning. I know about 30 others who I admire um, in, the, in the, the subgenre of K-12 online learning. It's uh, blended in online learning. And so well, admiring is nice, I'm, but the best I'm not, is the best. I'm the best at KSU for K-12. But then we have <laughs> some great experts in just general online learning um, with Dr. Moore um, here as well. So uh, fabulous experts to collaborate with on measuring Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, and we are. Practice. We actively share data. It's, we have a, when we partner with school districts, we enter into a contract with them to share data so that they know um, that the university, that these researchers are, um, are part of this as well. So it's not just us, yeah. uh, and it's not just a static program. We're but lucky. That We've got something special We are here. gathering data, and we're using that data to, to make sure that what we're doing is benefiting teachers and mm -hmm. students and, and outcomes. And now you guys have dragged me out of the K-12 online research and literature to stretch my legs out here into personalized learning. Yeah, Anissa, a naysayer at the beginning ago, of yeah. all of this, yeah, right, was, was not a, a believer in personalized learning. Well, I just wasn't ready for another initiative right. that lasted for some short period of time, required teachers to learn something new, but wasn't really going to change schools. Right, right. But now... Um, I'm just not game for that. Now... <laughs> spearheading well i see potential you know i really do and i hope that schools get on board with research-based personalized learning pedagogically focused personalized learning um, and for that i'm really hopeful and excited that we're going to shift away from the factory model of education to this optimization of the individual learner. Right, right. And, and, and I think that's and possible now. I think it is, and I'm excited for that. And that's really the fundamental belief that I have of what personalized learning is and could be. Right, and let's clarify, that that is not kids sitting in front of computers. Well, it could be. It could I mean, be. that could be someone's model of personalized learning. The computer and the algorithm might be deciding what it means to optimize you know, that individual. I am more hopeful, though, that teachers in collaboration with the learner are the best people to make the decisions about what is optimal for each learner rather than a computer program and an algorithm. Um, but that doesn't mean that a computer program and algorithm defining what's the next lesson on the playlist isn't personalized learning. Right. Right. There's different models. And, and I would love, which I, I'm afraid it would put our listeners to sleep, but to discuss at some point who has power in your model of personalized learning. Right. So that's I think an interesting question, right? And who, so without, without putting our learners to sleep. So yeah, let's try not to. <laughs> who, who are the, who are the, you know, who are the potential candidates, right? So you've got, you've got the, the learner. The learner, right? right? 
that's when we talk about learner agency right. and Student choice. Right, student-centered. Uh, yes, so the learner would have is the primary candidate right. to be making instructional decisions uh, or directional decisions about their instruction. Right. Uh, then the teacher. The teacher, which is more of this traditional teacher-centered, yep. making decisions for all students, right. when, where, how, what exactly. to learn. Yep. Yep. Um, and I don't think we should throw them out as a excellent candidate. I think they are still critically important. They are the expert. Yes. In the in the classroom. You can't just hand it to a student and expect them to actually go anywhere. We see that Correct. in the Montessori classroom, right? right? That that it's a, actually a joint decision. The student gets to make choices throughout the day about what they're doing, but if the teacher sees that they're not making progress towards their goals, that teacher will guide them and right. push them. Uh, to keep growing and, and, and pushing their own boundaries right. um, as a learner. And so I think that the student, the teacher, but then we can also add parents into this equation. When we talk about personalized learning, the parents have the potential to have a little bit more involvement in, especially when we talk about like the long-term or year-end goals for an individual learner. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but it also could be, in some models, it could be an algorithm is making decisions uh, for your learner, right? That the algorithm is using data in the system to decide who or, or which module is next or which learning activity is next or right. whether or not the learner has to remediate. Right, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that limits the options of paths, right, that might be available. Um, but an algorithm is, and who writes those algorithms then? Right. Um, that's a whole topic of debate. Topic. Huge, huge debate right now in Silicon Valley right. happening right now. If you follow any of that news and there's been lots of talk at Google in particular, they had a they had a uh, what was they they had a board mm -hmm. of people trying to kind of write these guidelines for AI. And no, there I guess everyone was so unhappy with the way it was going. They disbanded the whole thing and, and they, they scrapped it. And I don't, I don't even know right now if they're starting over or just scrapping that and, you know, taking it a different direction. But bias in AI is a is a huge topic of conversation right now. And, and is, is bias written into AI, right? Artificial intelligence. Can we can can we even ignore it or take bias out when? Inherently, as humans, we right? We are biased. We are biased. Mm -hmm. So, is there a way that we can write bias out? I I hope that there that's, is a brilliant researcher in AI working on yeah, that. Yeah, that's a um, tough one. It is, but that doesn't mean that AI is bad. Um, it can absolutely be helpful, especially lower level decision making. Absolutely, uh, I think that's the biggest key. Is that if if AI is at the top of this, who has power? I think that's where bias and in these problems, you know, can really start to rise. But if it's if it's an aid and it's at a, a lower level, if it's maybe, maybe making it's suggestions, you a collection of choices, right? Then then I think it's more. The thing that worries me though is that if currently, you know, we have maybe you know, three tracks of how students, their outcomes will be when they leave high school. We've got the, you know, the advanced learner who's going to go to an Ivy League school. We have the, um, the community college to uh, four-year institution student. We have the trade school student. We have the 
uh, maybe an at-risk student who are just trying to get to graduation or whatever the case may be. The thing is that AI may not be aware of other possibilities, right? Right. So it, the tracks would be very, or the decisions that are made are still limited, Correct. Right? right? Whereas uh, a student may have a totally new idea for their education that they're actually going to build a business, start a business, and launch a business as part of their graduation project, right? Right. Would AI have thought of that? You know, what about the jobs that don't exist? Would yeah. AI have thought about how this student who's working in um, art so effectively and computing so effectively, maybe that... Um, but they're also very social, that that person needs to be like a social media director or something. Um, but will AI think of all that? No. This is why we still need the creativity of of the child of and the teacher and right. the parents yeah. being involved. And all, in, in, in all in the back of our heads is Skynet, right? That just sits <laughs> there. So as, you, as we're talking, if you're not thinking Skynet, you need to be, right? So how do we prevent... And, and if you're not familiar with Skynet, go watch uh, Not With Your Children, maybe even the TV version of, of Terminator um, to get the idea of what happens when AI, you know, does start to make decisions and, and starts to think, if you will, for itself and, and comes to the conclusion that it doesn't need us anymore, mm -hmm. right? If it can program itself and write its own rules and does it, you know... Does it need us? Well, so if if AI is making all of the primary decisions, then how is that not just a factory model still that's just sorting children? Um, so it's really important, I think, and this is why I'm hopeful for personalized learning, that it's a complex solution where power is distributed, but for the first time we put a little bit more power on the student to make decisions, um, to influence direction, and, um, and that's why I'm hopeful. Right, yeah. It has the potential. But it also, you know, an online school that has algorithms that wants to give you the entire curriculum, you know, it could become where students are just sitting at a computer all day long marching yeah. through curriculum. And I, and I think we can, we can safely say at this point that, that that's not the vision that students have for their education. We've seen a lot of... We've seen, I don't even there know that there's a lot. There are organizations that there is are, their vision, and they are putting money behind it. And, and there are students that are saying, this is not our vision. And they are... They and are, school leaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That are that are standing up and saying, this is not what we signed up for, mm -hmm. and this is not uh, allowing our voice, um, you know, and, right. and things need to change. So can we... So we could dive in, into... Yeah, we in did. No we did manage to talk about power. I hope you're not asleep. Tweet All us. right. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So, geez, Louise, we're still uh, talking about that. That all started from Danielle. So yeah, thanks, Danielle. Really, yeah. Inspirational. Inspirational. Um, Who else did we talk to? Yeah, we talked to the 2019 Nebraska Teacher of the Year. And I yes. thought she was fantastic. She was phenomenal. Sydney Jensen. Oh, my gosh. Shout um, out to Sydney. What is what was Sydney's Twitter account? It was Sydney C, I think. Sydney G. Holy moly! Well, let you me look let that me up. look her up um, real quick. I was just so impressed with her commitment to the partnership approach. Uh, really, this peer-to-peer, uh, -peer problem-solving, solution-oriented, um, very collaborative and approachable um, role as a coach. 
Absolutely. She was fantastic. So on Twitter, she is Sydney C. Jensen. So that's S-Y-D-N-E-Y-C-J-E-N-S-E-N. Sydney C. Jensen. You can just look her up. 2009 Nebraska Teacher of the Year. She was fantastic. And let's let's talk a little bit, if we can, about about Teacher of the Year because yes. they were. Uh, she was just up in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you if you're on Facebook or Twitter and you know Sydney or any of the um, wonderful teachers of the year from 2019, we happen to be good friends with Allison. Townsend. Um, Townsend Curley yep, here uh, in Georgia, the 2019 Georgia Teacher of the Year. There, so they were all up in D.C. I found it super awesome that um, you know one picture uh, that I saw they were both in, and I don't even know if they had really physically met yet. Oh. Um, but I was writing to the both of them <laughs> uh, on these pictures, um, so hopefully they had a chance to meet and mm-hmm. um, you know share. I teach live. Uh, yeah. stories and I teach stories. Um, but really, um, one of the things that I, that I do want to talk about, and it was, we didn't talk enough about it on the show with Sydney. And it was something that she put, um, that she added in the show notes that she wanted to talk about. I think okay. we just kind of ran out of time. And then I've also seen, um, Allison talking about it recently on her visits to schools and districts um, representing Georgia's mm-hmm. Teacher of the Year and the, the DOE, and that is teacher retention. Oh, yes. And so there was a super awesome um, tweet um, that came out from the Georgia Department of Ed that's a quote from, from Allison this week, and it says, when I think about teacher retention and how many teachers leave within their first five years, three words always come to mind, valued people stay. And I think those are, those are three hugely powerful words, I think, particularly right now. It's true. In the field of education. You know, I retweeted with our hashtag sweater vest protest. Absolutely. This falls right in line with what we've been calling for. Right. Here uh, at I Teach Live at Kennesaw State, um, at I Teach, that teachers need to be valued and treated as the professionals that they Absolutely. are. And, and, and I can't agree more that when that happens, mm-hmm. that not only will we see more teachers staying beyond the three to five years, right. but we're going to see better teachers coming. We're going to see better teacher applicants. Well, I, I think we're in a bit of a crisis. I mean, it's, it's becoming difficult to recruit college students into the field of teaching. Right, right. Yeah, I, so I saw, um, I don't know if it was at the, at the advisory board. It, I don't think it was, but it was somewhere I saw stats uh, over the last 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. on college enrollment, different colleges, right. the enrollment, and the shift in the College of Education from being uh, yes. what was maybe the highest enrolled. right. Uh, college on a on a university to yeah. now one of the lowest enrolled. We're not the lowest here at Kennesaw State. We're very fortunate, but we have seen trends where um, we we do feel the drop in um, in in the our b- ability to recruit to the to the field. You know, it's not that uh, colleges of education are not great places to be. Um, they absolutely are. But, um, hey, we got friends at the door, Andy. Oh, oh. 
Um, hey, you keep talking. I'll get but, the door. But the challenge is that when there's so much media about how dissatisfied teachers are in their profession and they're, they're having to protest, uh, we see new protests uh, acknowledged in the media every week, whether it's Ohio or Arizona or here right, in Georgia, right. um, that teachers are dissatisfied with the conditions that they work in, the, the, the compensation packages that they're receiving, and the and the, the responsibilities that they are, are being given. And if we don't do something to change that, we are going to be in a lot of hurt. And you won't have any choice but to pay teachers more. Right. Because uh, there will be so few. Absolutely, <laughs> right. Are you... um, but really, we, we, we've got to be doing more to make the profession... Um, professionalized again absolutely absolutely know, to bring and back the pride in being a teacher and not be told oh you're just a teacher right and the answer is not just throwing money at it we can't just throw money at the problem that's not the well, only, that well helps. certainly it helps we do need to do that let's be clear <laughs> we do need to pay teachers more absolutely but also but also there's a whole slew of working conditions mm-hmm. that need to be addressed i it's think true. we see <clears throat> excuse me uh, a huge um, right now, there's a lot of talk, particularly California was big on um, the amount of counselors in the school, right? We've got yes. kids and, and even teachers d- dealing with so much yes. outside of, of our traditional classrooms and our buildings mm-hmm. that, you know, if we, we look back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we yes. can't teach these kids whose stomachs are rumbling in the right. classroom and who... Um, my wife is a counselor at a, at a high school and she has a student right now whose uh, their power has been turned off. How did, and the student doesn't want to go home. So um, this particular student uh, is a senior mm-hmm. and uh, right now the seniors don't need to, they took their finals last week. They don't need to come to school this week. Um, the student told, told, you know, my wife that they're coming to school because school feels more like home than the physical space that they're addressed, their physical address right now, that the student um, comes to school because that is home. And if income disparity continues to grow, this is just going to become a bigger and bigger problem in our schools, and we need more counselors. Right, yeah. We we, we have to start um, addressing, I guess maybe start admitting that, that these factors outside of the building right. have a direct affect on what we can and can't do in the classroom. I mean, we, we, we can't teach kids. We can't expect kids mm-hmm. to learn when, when they're worried about eating. Their minds are consumed with something else. When there right. are four people sleeping in a, in a car. Right. Um, you know, we, we got to start dealing with these things. Well, and so... Well. What are some specific things we want to see to improve the profession? And you know what? Why don't we bring some of our guests? I'm glad you said that. So joining us right Uh, now. To help us solve the uh, the world's problems. In studio. Step up to a mic here. We've got uh, two instructional coaches who were on campus, heard my call, and responded. So I teach instructional coach Anna Hale, who has been on our show before. This is not her first time. And first time, I think, on the show... Um, I teach instructional coach Zena Brown, uh, commonly referred to as Mama Brown here. 
uh, at iTeach. I can't see her. Where'd she go? I'm right over here. Okay. All right. You got to so, make sure that your mouth yeah, is Yeah, you got to you gotta talk mic. into the mic. No problem. You. Good deal. Thanks for having us. We just popped in to say hello and came in to just such a super important conversation. Yeah, right? so yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we're really interested in what are some specific changes that we could see to make the profession of teaching better here and more attractive to undergraduate students, okay, better here in Georgia. How, what can we do? Because we want Georgia to have the best teachers. We want to have a large teaching force that is highly skilled, who want to be there, who are celebrated. What are some things we can do? I think for, well, one, thank you for allowing me to be here. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I think for me, when I think about my teachers, is they are almost paranoid because they have to stay to their schedule. So if we're talking about having students with all these needs that need to be addressed that aren't necessarily core subject areas, mm -hmm. is having some flexibility to take some time with our students is everyone mm -hmm. fed like I know we can't take care of everything but like are we pausing to make sure this is taken care of so that when we move forward you've got the ability as a student to give me your most attention at that particular time and when you say that what I hear is like let's move to adaptive testing systems such that our pacing guides are not driving everything. Absolutely. Yes. You could have the most fantastic ideal, but if it doesn't fit in that hour and a half language arts block in the morning, then I'm not coming back to that content area. Right. right. No, that makes good sense. And it takes some of the joy out of teaching. Like, I think most of it are in, of us are in education because we love the act of learning and to see that. But, um, I've got two specific suggestions. Um, one of them is we have to get away from the concept that teachers have to do their work at home. Their planning's taken up by numerous meetings and they are needed. I don't think there are that many meetings that we could do without. We have to meet with parents. We have to have PLCs and collaborate, that type of thing. But then teachers take their grading and their planning, they do it at home at nights and on the weekends. That's a major impact in work-life balance. And it also sets teachers up to accept like this martyr martyrdom that they it's have to fair. sacrifice. Yeah. Yes, they have to, to put work over uh, their family. And then it's always thrown out, well, it's for the kids. You all do it for the kids. Right. Yes, we do. However, we, you know, we've got ourselves to think about. And then the other thing that to bring back that professionalism you were talking about, um, if you're working for a school system, they need to contribute to you getting better in your position by either providing some um, outside, like going to conferences and things like that, professional development that's not necessarily provided in in the school paid for by the I'm not phrasing that right teachers should go to conferences schools should pay for that that's the straight up and also there should be a contribution to um, tuition if a teacher is getting a higher degree in the field of education that that we don't have that perk is I think terrible and when you're out in the uh, real world 
companies have that as part of their compensation and benefits package, and it just goes to the professionalism. Right, right. Well, maybe it would be nice to see um, at the state level uh, investment in colleges of education to be able to provide even a further reduced uh programming uh, for graduate teacher education that would that would that way if a school if a teacher leaves one school system and goes to another mm-hmm. um, the investment is really at the state level the, the idea is to keep them in the state um, I like that I think I like that idea I think the discussion because we don't want the solution to be just keep throwing more money but teachers want to be compensated differently so I know teachers come out of their pockets to buy school supplies so something of that sort would help take that pressure off Mm -hmm. of teachers just be creative in in what we're doing in terms of helping us out Um, I know my first year of teaching I spent a thousand dollars it it just before your first paycheck (laughs) I'm spending a thousand dollars throughout the school year to get things so some type of assistance in that would help teachers because then I know I don't have to go in my own pocket because I'm going to do the best for my class if we need. Well, it's, it's hard not to say that money is the solution, mm-hmm. you know, because there have been cuts for so many years. Um, and we've seen some school districts give some really great raises this, uh, announce some really great raises this year. And so we don't want to sound like we're not appreciative mm-hmm. of that. That's amazing. That. That was overdue, so that's great. Um, But in general, there still needs to be an increased investment in education rather than for us to continue to decrease or remain the same. So, and not to get, I certainly don't want to get into politics, and I don't want to be pick a side here, but Bernie Sanders, I don't know if you guys saw, he just the other day uh, unloaded this, uh, I want to say 10 step, it was 10 or 11 step plan to rehaul at the national level. Um, the DOE, right, education. And so some of the things he's calling for are, and and let's just, you know, is this feasible or not or something, but um, uh, free lunches, right, for all students Mm -hmm. in schools. Um, uh, To address what you were saying, Zena, more compensation, more than a light item, a $500 line item deduct on your taxes for Mm -hmm. what teachers are putting into um, their own uh, classrooms, you know, from their own wallets into their classrooms. And then even a floor, he mentioned a, a floor, I think $60,000 as a, as a bottom, that would be the starting point for teachers, for educators. Um, oh, if you did that, I to move up from have. there. Um, so lots of different things we're seeing, but you know, but is it feasible? How would we fe- do that? How, and, and, at, and at the national level, you know, at the yeah. same time, let me throw this out there. We've got this big talk, particularly here in Georgia, about local control, right? So we just had a bill that came to the governor the other day for mandatory recess, recess yeah. um, here that in the state of Georgia. The House. It was a bipartisan Senate, bill. Senate, yeah, here. Bipartisan bill supported on both sides, uh, and the governor, new governor Brian Kemp, he vetoed it, and his reasoning was he doesn't want to put more mandates on schools. He wants local control, right? Mm-hmm. So, I've, you know, the bill didn't, didn't say how long recess. It had recommendations for a... Th- oh, at I le- thought it required 30 minutes. It didn't require. It just required recess. 
the recommended amount of time was 30 minutes a day. Okay. But it was not a... But recess couldn't be taken away for academic or behavioral problems. Right. So no more, I'm going to take this because you didn't do your homework, which is ridiculous. Anyway, we could have that whole conversation. But yeah, yeah so, you know, local control versus this, this idea, um, this top-down idea of... Uh, how how is that even feasible? You know, these things I think sound so good sometimes to teachers, but but well, really, how is that feasible? I think it's great to have the conversation. Yeah. Right? Like I don't know how it's gonna be feasible, but but let's talk about it and let's imagine. Let's at least dream big and see what we could possibly do rather than poo pooing ideas um before we really talk about some really, you know, different uh solutions. Yeah. Does it become a question of looking at what made us get to the point where we don't have recess? So now if we've gone full circle and now we're I saying like that question. there's some sound instructional things that say we should have recess, but we did something that said if we pull it away, we're going to get this bigger gain. Did it, we actually see that gain? Yeah. And so I, I, that is such a strange space to be in mm-hmm. to go, I have to mandate that you take kids outside and give them right. some free Kids. space. Yeah, but what? Yeah. How did we That's get a great here? question, Zena. I've never heard that. I've never heard it asked. Right? We took it away so that you know, most likely, so that we could prepare and do well on this test. Right? Yeah. Have the test scores did they increased? <laughs> right? I mean, we could look at the NAEP results and uh, argue that they haven't changed in sixty years for the most part. Um, so I'm going to chalk that up as a no. <laughs> I haven't read the research on that, so I'm not going to make a stand one way or the other. I don't even need to read it. I'm just going to say um, no. I, I know anecdotally seeing my son on a day that he has not had recess um, when he was in elementary school versus on a day that he had recess. There's a huge difference in his ability to focus if he has played and run, and uh, he was much more likely to be successful in the classroom. Absolutely. Yet that was the first thing taken away from right. him. Absolutely. Uh, and we're talking grade. about kids, right? <laughs> we're not talking about, like, the the undergraduate level, 20-year-old yeah. uh, learners. These are 8-year-olds who But uh, even as adults, the reason Anna, or our, she and I are over here is because we've been working all morning, and we needed to take a break. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. got up, and we're having recess right now. Absolutely. And, yeah, we had, we had to move. And also that social-emotional kind of wellness is so important. You take a break, you walk away, you come back, and your your mind's fresh. Right, so, gives you a fresh focus, you know? Exactly. There's a school system in London, they have what they call the morning mile. So every day, no matter what, everyone stops, and it takes. they take a 15-minute break, and they figure you can walk a mile in about 15 minutes, so that's why they call it the morning mile. But there's no goal for that. We just get out. And everyone just walks around the building, and then when the 15 minutes are up, we all go back inside, and we've done a brain booster instead of a brain bank mm-hmm. break. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, I've told you guys, when I taught psychology, I always took my first block class, and we took down to the track, and we walked. Some kids ran, some kids jogged, some kids walked, you know, some walked quicker than others, some talked with their friends while mm-hmm. they walked. But every morning, we went down to the track, and it was a benefit. Of, you know, I don't have the data. All I've got are what the kids told me, right. and they told me it benefited them all day, not just in my class, you know, for the next hour that I had them, but at the end of the day, they felt better, 
when they when they got some exercise in the morning. But I think there's there's a key point that I hear that's in common, and that is moving your body, right? Because I've also seen uh, recess or brain breaks where they're really just jumping on their phones, and they're checking social media or playing a few video games. And, um, well, that may be better than nothing. Um, it could, I don't know, maybe it's yeah. not helpful at all. May, I, I don't know if it helps or hurts, but I know that moving your body helps. Yeah. So why not let's, yeah. let's do what I'm we know I'm certainly advocating helps. moving bodies, not, yeah. uh, not cell phones. I'm glad you mentioned cell phones. So I'm going to shift gears real oh, quick. I'm sorry. Can I jump in there real quick before you shift gears? No. Please. I'm just yes. kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> so You're going to disagree with me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to back up what you guys are saying with um, a little uh, research. So any of you out there who have not heard yet of Lodge McCammon, that's M-C-C-A-M-M-O-N, Dr. Lodge McCammon, who, cool name, by the way. He does a lot of research on student movement. So he is um, a big advocate of as soon as you've brought in a new idea, a new concept, you've taught it, you've practiced it, you get up, you move around for five or 10 minutes, and then you come back and you practice it again, because you need that time to process for everything to kind of settle into the brain. And then you get back at it, which I think is brilliant, because I know when I do that, when I'm in a PD session or I'm just trying to learn something on my own and I take that break, it's very valuable. So there is some research out there. You can look him up if you want to see that research. But I believe he did his dissertation on that topic. Interesting. Interesting. Good. So that so move your body. Yeah, that spills into another article I wanted to talk about. But let's talk about this first one because we're talking about, you know, phones and recess and right. whatnot. Discord so, for brain break. So no, um, no, no, no. there's a there's a article in Edutopia, right? Great, great resource for educators out there. Um, and this is a research-based article, but the title of the article is There's a Cell Phone in Your Student's Head. And so <laughs> basically what the research is saying is that they're finding, um, they're talking about this uh, upstream and downstream idea of things that stick with us. So what basically the research says is that if having a cell phone in your pocket, right, mm -hmm. turned off, powered even powered down, is just as distracting mm -hmm. as having that phone open and trying to, you know, if you're trying to uh, Facebook and learn something new in class, right? that just the effects of having the phone on your physical body, the presence is enough of a distractor in your brain that, you know, that, that it's a problem. It moves your attention mm -hmm. and there's, away Yeah, yeah. Learning. So having it in a book bag but they also is said still as distracting. You have to have it in a different room. There has to be physical separation. Physical separation. <laughs> so, you know, presents a, a, a nice new talking point for, and, and basically at the end of this, what it says is that cell phone use in school, and this is really, I, I would argue, any technology in the classroom has to be carefully monitored, intentionally structured, which I think is the most important thing there. We see so much of technology that's not intentional. Right. And that's when it becomes a problem is that unintentional use. If we're just using technology for technology's sake, you know, we're not doing it right. So Right, we're creating um, yeah. a, a greater problem. Carefully monitored and intentional, you know. But see, I have this problem at work even, but this duo 
uh, authentication process for me to log into KSU <laughs> systems. Like I used to put my phone on a bookshelf in my in my office, like far away so that I could stay focused on work. But now I got to get up three and four times, go get that phone. And next thing I know, I'm on social media. I'm looking at the news. And I'm like, oh, I was just trying to log into the Owl Express system. Oh. And now I'm distracted again. So get your, I can do it on my watch. I don't have to use my phone. Oh. Well, so I would be distracted by that. <laughs> <laughs> do you all ever feel your phone vibrate or you think it does? Oh, the phantom vibrate? Not, the phantom vibrate. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I'm like, wait a second. Yes. Yeah. Now, I just had a conversation with high schoolers because uh, that's one of the problems we're having is the teachers and the students with the phone. And the student, she was like, if, if my phone is near me, I'm going to pay attention to the notifications. Mm-hmm. She's like, it can be face yeah. down, but if I hear my phone bing, I'm turning it over because I want to see what that notification is. And so I think that is a serious thing. Uh, I read the article and then started looking at what are ways that people use cell phones in the classroom and going, this isn't necessarily critical these examples that I'm finding. So I know it's a great device for helping expand learning, but we've really got to be purposeful and intentional and make it, okay, the reason you're using your phone as opposed to a tablet, as opposed to a desktop, is because this is a critical tool for this usage. Otherwise, it becomes okay to put it away. I know I just did something and I left my phone in the car and I had that separation anxiety (laughs) i did i had to go back and get it um but i think that was the thing to hear from the high schoolers i hear what you're asking me to do but i'm not ready to let go of that yeah 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 we really we really the focus needs to be on intentional use i mean that just to me you know you see even at concerts now you got to lock your phone up if you go to certain concerts they give you the little koozie thing that locks so that you can't take your phone out and you got to focus um during the show, and I've even seen schools implementing those types of, um, you know, cell phone bands where they got to lock them up when you come in in the morning and, um, you know, they unlock them mm-hmm. when you leave. I wonder if there are times <laughs> when that is the right answer, if we don't need the phone. And I think Zena posed some great questions right there. Why are we using our phone versus uh, versus a tablet versus a laptop or a desktop? You know, right. what, what, what does that provide us that the others don't? And Other a, than a whole lot of notifications, right? In a school, in a school building, do we need that? Maybe if you're, maybe don't. you know, if you're out on a Saturday and um, uh, you're maybe you're a, a, a Google nerd and you're ingressing or you're Pokemon going and you're <laughs> you're learning about historical markers and interesting things along the way and you want to pull your phone out and do some quick research and learn why is this portal here? And but remember, this we really started freeing up the rules around cell phones with BYOD, right? right? Because when we were were talking about school systems that didn't have the money to bring in one-to-one devices in the schools, and so students were bringing their own devices as learning tools. And so the question is, at what point have we gone beyond that and that schools really, you know, to educate a child today, they need a laptop or a tablet. Like, that is just something that is needed. Um, We need a classroom set so it's not personal notifications that they're getting um and i and i really think that we're kind of there you know especially when we talk about what we spend on textbooks right um and textbooks are outdated the minute mm-hmm. we've got them well, right we, we can talk about bias and, bi- and textbooks sure. conversations all day long as well 
state of when Texas. When are we going to feel comfortable <laughs> enough to redirect those huge textbook funds to digital resources and um, technology? And, and some school systems have started doing that. Right, right. But I and open education resources, right? We said OERs are, are out there. Um, Absolutely. You know, you but then we get back to that question that we talked about earlier in the show today right, about data, privacy and privacy. data. So it's a complex challenge, um, and we need school systems sh- to share their lessons learned. Right. And, and I think, you know, at the state and national levels, we need to start creating opportunities for some of the, uh, you know, Wild West is the term that's coming to my, to my head. But, but we need pioneers. We need people that are willing and able to go and, and try out, venture into these unknown spaces. Mm-hmm. And, and test these waters for us. And let's learn from them. It doesn't need to be everyone. Design and development studies, quasi-experimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And let, we, we've got to do some. But let's create yes. avenues for that, almost like, like the idea of a charter school right now or a charter system that gets to have flexibility in its test schedule and gets to have flexibility in seat time and gets to have flexibility. Let, you know, let's open those avenues to explore these other options and avenues as well and get some pioneers out there um, leading, well, leading the way. There's a chance for Betsy DeVos to defend her for-profit. Yeah. Oh, she, has she called yet, Betsy? No, I don't. The lines <laughs> are oh, empty. Here, I have her on speed dial. I'll use my cell phone yet. to get that. Okay, I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, so don't even take me down that road. <laughs> um, but I think the thing is we as teachers can handle this challenge, that if we find something and we're uncomfortable and we feel it's not meeting what we need, We've, we've got the creativity and the intellect to, to solve these issues. You're right. So I, we don't I, need someone else to solve it for us. Right. You're so right. I, I know that as we pose all these problems, it's going, but this think tank, this uh, mental capital that we have as educators, um, we can definitely figure out what we need to do next. And Anna pointed out our recess time is over. So, yes. Yes. so thank you so yep. much for coming Anna in. Zena, you thank you so very much for uh, for dropping in and, and sharing your insights and your wisdom with us and with our listeners. We we really do appreciate it. Thank you for having us. You guys are awesome. And we appreciate it. Yeah, door's always open. It's locked. locked but it's <laughs> but it's glass now so we can see you can door's always see through. And do you want to remind folks who they're listening to? Yeah, while uh, while Anna and Zena exit the building, you're listening to I Teach Live. I'm your host Andy Boyle here with Dr. Anissa Vega. Hello. And uh, you're on KSU Owl Radio, the number one online college radio station here in the state of Georgia. Yes. So fantastic. We've been talking about um, kind of end of year stuff, getting into all kinds of side stories and um, and good stuff here. Good talk. So let's talk. Uh, I made a list of of stories yeah, that I wanted to talk about today. To touch on. So let me ask you. I'll give you a choice here. We'll, we'll be this. We'll personalize this for our. Because we also wanted to talk about our conference that we went to. Oh yeah, God. There's okay. all kinds of stuff. So all right. So I got uh, two stories. A public school makes the case for Montessori for all. Mm-hmm. Very interesting story here. And number two, allowing test retakes without getting gamed. So nice. what? Uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, you want to start with Montessori? Let's do start with Montessori because a lot of our, uh, you know, we're big fans of Montessori here. A lot of our, our vision for personalized learning kind of um, mirrors, I don't know if or you want to, to say. Lessons learned from lessons Montessori learned. to inform 
uh, our vision and model for personalized right, learning. Right, because they do do a fantastic job. They do. Um, personalizing learning for Maria Montessori actually designed her model of curriculum and instruction to serve children of poverty, orphans, you know, right. um, and help those children uh, learn to learn, right, so that they could um, be independent in the classroom. And that's a major tenet of personalized learning is that if you want the learner to have some control and decisions, to have some of that power, well, they've got to have some executive function, some ability to manage themselves, to set goals, and to um, pursue those goals. And so um, we learned a bit from Montessori classrooms, being able to see how students, individual students, were self-managing within the classroom that allowed and freed the teacher up to work with small groups. Right, right. right. Wasn't yelling at anyone, telling them to sit down, get, you know, get focused back on your schoolwork. Um, students right. were able to self-manage. And it was in- incredible when we, when we did that tour and walked through and I asked, like, what, wh- how long are we looking at that these kids been in? Because you would think... You know, a naysayer might walk in there and go, oh, well, these kids have been doing this for years. Since they were two and a half. But it was amazing to learn that there were kids in that classroom that had been in there for two weeks. Since, the, you know, we went at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the school year that their first experience ever in Montessori school was the beginning of that school year. And you could not pick out the students that had been that had been in Montessori for two weeks versus from the ones that had been there for three years. And everyone was working on something different. Right. And and one of the differences we saw when we went to the public school classrooms that were not Montessori, um, we saw some of the most skilled classrooms. Right. And in order to manage the students, it looked a little bit more like centers, learning centers. And that was necessary in order to manage student behavior. Right. Um, but if we can help students manage their own behavior then they don't necessarily have to be grouped all the time. They could be working independently. And so that's some of the lessons we wanted to learn from Montessori and why this news story is so interesting that public yeah. schools are so this is a Yeah, in, in South Carolina, um, we've got a public school that actually, it's not a new school. So this is a school that made the transition. Okay. They say it was a five-year process for them to make the transition from a traditional public school to, uh, to implementing a Montessori model so that they're now... In, a Montessori classroom, um, and their data is amazing. So oh, fantastic. I'm got, not surprised, though. They've got great data that show that these students in the Montessori classrooms— And this is a school uh, in a this is rural, a This is rural, high-poverty— um, They made I an think important point, though, that number. people in the United States, we often perceive Montessori as being only for— Middle class and rich white people. Correct. And that's because it's only been accessible to uh, those who could go to private school. Who could school. pay to pri- yeah, private school. Because we didn't have anything about Montessori in our public school systems. Right, right. But and this is, a, this is a Title I. This is one of the great school. stories of how charters have helped. You know, so it, whenever somebody asks me, are you for charters or not for charters or whatever, I, it, it's such a mixed bag. I have right. such mixed feelings. It's best to just focus on the great outcomes um, in those examples. And I think that the growth of Montessori schools is one of the great outcomes. Right. Um, Absolutely. Here in the state of Georgia, actually, we um, in 2018, there was a 
the PSC uh, approved um, some new certification rules for Montessori teachers. So now a Montessori teacher can teach in a public school, which opens up the opportunity for public schools to have Montessori classrooms. And in the state of Georgia, I'm trying to find my piece of paper, there are four public Montessori schools now. And where did I put that piece of paper? Yeah, I was surprised while you're looking for that to find out through this article on Egytopia here that, that the majority of public schools that are Montessori are found in South Carolina is the leader in the nation for public Montessori schools. Oh, that's so exciting. They, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I actually thought our Arizona or Wisconsin would have been ahead on that. Um, but anyways, um, here uh, in the Atlanta metro area, we've got Huntley Hills Elementary and Montessori School. That's a public uh, school. And then we've got Briar Vista Elementary School, I think in the DeKalb area, or maybe Decatur, I'm not sure. Savannah has got two Montessori public schools. One of them is the Coastal Empire Montessori Charter School, and the other is Charles Ellis Montessori Academy. So shout out to the public Montessori schools yeah. in the state of Georgia um, enacting a model of personalized learning. Absolutely. And I, I, I learned some interesting things um, reading about this school in South Carolina, and in particular, um, this this particular school where seventy uh, percent of the population is is on free and reduced lunch, mm -hmm. and fifty uh, percent of the population are students of color, and it and I found it interesting that the the most um, hesitant community was those of students of color. That there's just a lack of education around what Montessori is, mm -hmm. that they were the most hesitant to support it. Because they wanted to make sure that you know Rigor. they see education as an avenue out of right. poverty, and they, and they wanted to make sure rigorous, high quality education that that course. avenue was still in place. And and the the gains that they're seeing, they're finding that that the students that went through the Montessori mm -hmm. um, are scoring higher, of course, on right. all the tests. They're they're outperforming um, all of their peers um, across the state. Well, the and thing about Montessori, not only, I mean, much of the instruction is was designed by Maria herself. So it, it's not that the teachers aren't designing instruction, but most of the concepts, there's concrete materials to align with the concepts. So there's a lot of child development and child cognitive development science that goes into those lessons. And, um, and so that's also a piece of it that's helpful as well. Not only are they moving at an individual path, and pace, but they're getting consistent instruction that is developmentally appropriate. Absolutely. And, and along with all the SEL, the social and emotional um, that too. Yeah. learning that comes self -regulation. with the self-regulation, the three hours of uninterrupted learning mm -hmm. to help with executive functioning. That and time is sacred. That three-hour stretch um, where kids are learning how to focus uh, with uninterrupted uh, learning time. And, and, oh my gosh. Y you go to, to any public school classroom. Come to my and house and deal with schedule. my 14-year-old who, you know, these kids that can't, they can't stay focused on a test for longer than, than 20 minutes. I would if love. If you can get 20 minutes. I would love to see that Montessori be spread more popular, especially through our preschool programs in the state, such that when students get into their, you know, public school environment that those um, 
that those learners have been practicing some self-regulation because I think what we're doing in personalized learning um, has so much potential, but we really need the learners to be capable of self-management, self-management for it to be manageable by right. the teachers. Right. And, and, you know, one of the, I think one of the core components that differentiates uh, our vision of personalized learning from a lot of what other people out there are calling personalized learning is that core tenet of executive functioning. Yes. Right. And that, so that again, was really number one. It is the first is listed first on purpose. It is. And, and that actually was the Stephanie Stevens, um, I teach director and co-host. She was the only one who I heard at the personalized learning conference that we went to this past week talk about how important executive function is to success in personalized learning. Right. Well, no one else is talking about it and it's, they're missing because, because we're, we're, you know, we are teaching we executive functioning we, away. We're taking it away from our kids by telling them where to sit and when to do speak, this. When and, to go to the bathroom. You know, you have 10 minutes to work on this, and then we're going to shut that part of your brain off and work on this. And right. we're, we're killing this self-regulating piece of our kids. Um, and we you can't just turn it back on. I mean, I have pulled my hair out at home sure. trying to build executive functioning in my kids. And it's a, it's a, it's a losing battle as a parent when I see them for two hours right. at night and they're at school for eight hours being, being just conditioned well, the so opposite. Now there may be other great models of personalized learning for the preschool and lower elementary grades. And I'm excited for someone to invite me to come and tour those. It's just at this point, the only ones that I've seen for those pre-readers um, well, not the only one. I mean, just those that early years preschool right. kindergarten is Montessori, you right, know. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I'm hopeful that there are also other possible models as well. Yeah, yeah, it is a great model. So tell us, you mentioned really very quickly about a conference. So there was a big conference here in Atlanta, personalized yes, learning, run by Ed Elements, run by our friends at Ed Elements. Yeah, um, yeah, here it was in Atlanta a and two and a half day conference. Two and a half days, yes. and I I did not go. However, I know that here uh, they they brought a bunch of uh, a bunch of conference attendees here to campus for a tour. They toured the mm-hmm. uh, the innovation lab. The uh, they got to see. I think they got to see the. Was the bus there, or uh, the Avatar Lab? I know they saw that. They went to the Avatar Lab, the Innovation Lab, and there was a third stop. I can't remember where. I was thinking the they... UDL Lab. The U... I don't think so. I was thinking yeah. they hit the bus. Maybe they didn't. Okay. I don't know. But whatever. So they, but they got to to see some things here. Um, yes. Some of what we're doing I heard here. Great reviews of that. Absolutely at KSU, and then uh, and then there was a slew of things in the city, and and I did not attend, but you did. So why I don't did. you tell yeah. us a little so... bit about what you saw and. Sure. So um, there was, I think, probably between eight and 900 attendees. So it was well attended. And they came from across the United States, school systems, um, trying to implement personalized learning. I think there were even some international travelers. Even some international travels, travelers there as well. And um, so it was a very uh, exciting, motivating sort of conference to get you really um, motivated to start implementing personalized learning. We heard from uh, the chief creative officer of Soul Pancakes. She gave a great keynote, very inspiring and exciting. Um, and I know I teach has a partnership with creative or with um, Soul Pancake. No. Okay. 
I thought you guys made some instructional content. We we partnered with the um, the people behind Kid President. Oh, okay. Um, who happened to work with Who happened them to do some work with Soul Pancake. Okay, gotcha, different. gotcha. Okay, so. Um, but anyway, so really uh, fun energy at this conference. People were really excited. We had some design challenges on day one, uh, looking at uh, just community conversation about um, how we can solve problems and make designs uh, around uh, personalized learning. And the design challenge that I attended was the one related to equity. So how can we um, design our schools and personalized learning initiatives to promote equity? And so that was a fun discussion. We had um, some debate. Um, and but it was really encouraging to see so many people committed to equity in schools. Yeah, yeah. Um, equity and diversity issues. So um, we didn't really come out with like a answer or solution or a set of policies that we need to implement, but we did have good discussion. All right, fantastic. So I'm looking at the clock. We got nine minutes, and I got two questions. So quick, short sure. answers. First off, best session. What was the best, most informative session? Um, that you got to see? So maybe not the best one of the workshop, but the best one that you got well, to attend. hands down, and I know this sounds so biased, but I- I'm telling you as objectively as I can that Stephanie's session about what the state of Georgia is doing um, for personalized learning and how iTeach has been involved in that, it was... it was inspirational, it was informative, but also she really told... You know, any state leader, here's a successful plan of how we've been doing it. And now here's where we're going in the future. And this is going to take us from policy at the top to action in the classroom. And it was the most how-to, let's get it done. Um, This is, you know, a huge team, multiple players involved. And what she doesn't say is, you know, that, you know, she's this mastermind behind so right, much of it. Right. That she's really such a dynamic leader to get so many people involved um, who otherwise were once before uh, naysayers. Yeah, yeah. But um, she's, so her session was absolutely the best, most okay. inspirational. And, and she should be leading their keynote next year. <laughs> okay, well, I'll put in a phone call. Yeah, she, um, at least one of them, like the really how-to person is Stephanie Stevens. Right, yeah. So walking away, what do, what's next? What do people need? So let's let's say you went to this, to the personalized learning conference here in Atlanta, and what, so what do you need next? So I think everyone who was there probably left really motivated and excited. Sure. Okay. I think what's next, though, is the nitty-gritty of how does this happen in my school and classroom, right? And I think what you need is some instruction. Um, and I think that, like, that's what we're doing here with our personalized learning endorsement, right? right? We've got one course that's already going. We're going to teach that this summer. Um, we have got two more courses that are getting approved. I've submitted that this past last week, actually. So nice. celebration. Um, that was a lot of work to design and to um, prepare that for PSC review. Um, but that program is going to be a great way to help teachers start creating change in their classroom. 
document that change and demonstrate that they have mastery. So it's going to actually happen in the classroom at nice, that point. Nice, nice. Um, I think one way that would be really helpful after that is coaching, job embedded coaching. So I think conference, get motivated. Coursework, learn how to do it, turn your room into a personalized space. And then coach for sustainability and continuous improvement. Fantastic. So there's the model. I mean, that's, well, that's what we need, right? Well, I'm excited because what I saw after that was I don't think at this point anyone is going to be able to say that they provide better instruction for teachers on personalized learning than we do here at KSU. I don't think anyone's going to be able to say that we sustain that change better than I teach. And I'm really excited because what I felt like leaving was that Georgia is the leader. The state of Georgia is leading personalized learning. We've got great collaborators at Georgia DOE and now also the PSC. We have got great uh, superintendents across the state who are committed to personalized learning. And now we have the, the people, you know, and the programs here at KSU that's going to make the change happen in the classroom. And so I feel really proud to be a part of it. I'm really excited. Um, I'm excited to get to know each of my students uh, who join the class because I get to have one-on-one -on -one co-planning conversations with them and solve problems in their classroom. And I'm just, I'm just really excited for what the future holds for Georgia and for personalized learning. And I think we are going to be the leader. That's so good to hear. And I love, I love, and I wish, I wish people could see the genuine joy when you talk about co-planning with teachers. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a component that you haven't had, right? No, when I teach in online ed, or online. even face-to-face -face in my classes, I, I get to know each one of them and, and face-to-face, -face, although virtually, um, just have these conversations and hear, you know, well, my classroom's different because, and so I can't do what that other person did. And right. so we solve that problem together. Absolutely. And it's a real joy. And That's I don't get to know my students like this before. Like this is, this is new and it's really fun. And that, that, that's a trickle down that when, when teachers are personalizing, they're going to have those co-planning conversations that are inspiring with their K-12 students. And we know, you know, so much of teaching is intrinsic, is intrinsic. And it is about those relationships that we build and just, you know, the idea for me being able to take it to the next level and really to provide the a, a more personal level of support to my kids, whether it's, you know, struggling with supply and demand or something outside of the classroom mm -hmm. that I can that I can provide a support for that maybe on a traditional model, I just didn't have the time to to learn about that struggle, right. much less to be able to help you find resources and support you in that. Um, you know, it's not about doing more work. Mm -mm. But it's it's about supporting students better in their right. in their journey, right? Um, of of you know their personal learning experience in the optimization of the individual. That's incredible. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. We could probably uh, keep doing this for the next. Uh, probably all day. I wish if there were a camera in here, you could see Anissa and I are literally, we've been facing each other. <laughs> there was one point when I think you spit in my eye a little bit, actually. And I thought, well, 
This has been a unique. It's been a unique experience without Stephanie here. I know. I miss her. Um, I do miss her desperately. It's, it's forced me to talk more. Me too. Um, Come out of my shell a little bit. And it's uh, the dynamic. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I've Give literally us some feedback. I've literally been staring at Anissa for two hours, <laughs> um, which is not bad. No. It's not bad for me. Um, uh, so that's it. Time. It's we, we, it's eleven fifty eight. We got two minutes left. So. Um, let's talk about what's coming. So what yes, we've, got, so we're, we've got, we are taking a break. A month break. We're going to take off uh, June, as we always do. There will be no live show in June, but we'll be coming at you. Um, if you're going to be back in the classroom for, for pre-planning or if your district is one of those that starts back in July, we will be back with you at the end of July yes. for our first show of season four. Um, and I would be curious to know for listeners out there, what do you, what do you want to hear? What are there issues? Are there problems that we can help you solve? Please nominate a guest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if there's somebody you want to hear from, um, yeah, I love the idea. Nominate a guest and we'll go after them. Uh, and we'll try to get them on the show and, and yeah, we'll let them know they were nominated by you, our listeners. And we'll, uh, and we'll try to get them on the show and talk to them and, and hear what they've got to say and what they're working on. Um, if you have questions, anything going on, as always, you guys were on social media, all the platforms at KSU I teach. Our website is iteach.kennesaw.edu. Um, and again, click that smiling face, that instructional coach down there in the corner and begin your conversation. Um, I hope everyone has a great summer. I hope your school year ends on a positive note for, for you and for all your learners. I hope everybody has a safe, um, summer safe time out of school and until the next episode cheers i teach live is produced by the instructional technology coaches from i teach at kennesaw state university with the cooperation of the instructional technology department the bagwell college of education and ksu owl radio you can reach out to them for more information questions or comments at their website iteach.kennesaw.edu or on twitter facebook and Instagram at KSU I teach.